0: Welcome to KX, Emerging Research Podcast. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran.
1: And I'm Kim Winslow
0: from The Knowledge Exchange. We're shaking things up in 2023 with a new format. I know. I think more it's like fun sized candy bars instead of
1: king sized like we normally record. Is that right, Stacey?
0: It's true, we're getting right to the research, but we're going to break it into bite-sized chunks. This is not a sleeve of thin mints and one sitting people, this is actual serving size.
1: Now we'll have shorter podcasts on a single research project
0: as a part of a series that'll feature our college researchers. And today we're talking turf grass. Dominic Petrella and Ed Nangle join us from Ohio State ATI and the Department of Horticulture and Crop Science in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Dom is an assistant professor and Ed, an associate professor of turfgrass science. Welcome. Hey,
2: guys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon.
0: Now, I know it doesn't feel like it outside today, for sure, but we're getting close to lawn season and the weekly competition in the neighborhood to be the first one to cut your grass. (laughs)
1: Uh, I know we are usually top on that list. Uh, And our lawns will start grading up, thankfully. And lots of people I know around in our neighborhood use fertilizers to keep their lawns lush and healthy. But we also have heard that too much fertilizer is not necessarily good for your lawn or the environment. We all know that access nitrogen and phosphorus in our streams and rivers can lead to things called HABs or harmful algal blooms out in Lake Erie.
0: Dom and Ed are currently working on an Ohio Department of Agriculture research project to develop nitrogen fertilizer recommendations for home lawns.
1: And using less fertilizer means lower costs for homeowners and less of an impact on waterways around the state. So what led you guys to this project with the ODA? I,
2: I would say the first thing is seeing, especially homeowners, not professional lawn care applicants all the time, over applying or willy-nilly applying fertilizer. And one of the big things is when you look at states, they usually have recommendations for how much fertilizer you should apply for a home lawn. And Ohio doesn't for some reason. So that's one of the big things like this grant you're discussing is trying to actually get best practice recommendations for maintaining uh, lawns in Ohio with a a minimal amount of fertilizer.
1: Well, why would homeowners apply nitrogen in the first place to their lawns? Tradition. Tradition. Awesome. They want
2: to keep things dark green and they want things to be looking lush agronomically, we try to apply fertilizer because if the turf's growing well, then we generally can suppress things like weeds.
0: Oh, sure. So overall, what like beyond lower cost, if homeowners are using less fertilizer, what are the benefits of like a low input turf management? Everyone thinks they need fertilizer to make their lawns look pretty. What are you trying to find out for those homeowners? Less work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's honest. I like this. No. <laughs> From my perspective, um, You know, if you can maintain a turf grass that helps decrease, let's say, uh, temperature in an urban area, if it helps infiltration of rainwater, that's our goal. It doesn't need to be perfectly dark green, pretty all the time. And if we can save money on
1: fertilizers, have somebody do less work, then we can keep things happy. That makes sense. I know that uh, when talking to homeowners, some of the time agriculture comes up in the conversation because we hear about fertilizer in agriculture. We hear about soil tests as well at that level. Do you recommend homeowners get these same types of soil tests to understand their nitrogen? I
3: think in some situations it's warranted. Uh, One example would be when you're establishing a lawn or reseeding the lawn, uh sometimes there's justification to test for phosphorus in particular the place where you might run into some limited value however on some of those tests is in regard to nitrogen and making decisions on nitrogen rates and and if we talk to soil scientists and people who do it a lot with that type of uh chemistry uh those people will tell you that there's a lot of spatial variability And so measuring nitrogen in one corner of the lawn where there's no trees and it's a low spot versus the opposite corner of the lawn where there's 10 trees and it's full of heavy clay soil, you're going to get two very, very different numbers. And so that makes it kind of difficult to get a uniform number to really measure or apply to. Now, compared to a cropping system in the agriculture world, the numbers are much cleaner in the sense of if you want to produce X amount of bushels, you need to put this amount of fertilizer down, right? We're not in that situation. We're in the situation of a perennial, what I would like to term a perennial cropping system, and we can't see really what's going on underneath. And if that's the case, then it's somewhat more, let's put a program in place and we'll do what we've all, all, always done. Sure.
1: Now, I feel like we have a good understanding of maybe why this work is taking place. Can you give a little bit of information about what the project looks like, what some of your methods are, that sort of thing?
2: So the project's being performed in four locations across Ohio, namely to get account or take into account all the environmental variation from north to south. So it's being performed in Finley near Toledo and Worcester in Columbus and then down in Blue Ash near Cincinnati, Ohio. So first we have our environment, so different environments. Then we're comparing four different species of turf grasses. We have tall fescue, perennial ryegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, and hard fescue. All those rank in terms of how much nitrogen we would expect them to require. But again, we don't know how that might vary across the state. And then for each of those species, we're looking at five different cultivars. Because every cultivar can be slightly different but also we're looking at old cultivars and new cultivars to see if there's any improvements in nitrogen use uh, over the years since they've been breeding turf grass varieties. Then the last factor is the amount of nitrogen that's going down. So we're applying zero nitrogen throughout the entire study, all the way up to what would be be four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year, which is on the high end. And we're applying that monthly. And over the next two years, we'll be doing that and taking data a, a couple times a month to look at health of the turf, color of the turf, density, and results of this, and then it'll help us maybe go forward, look more at, let's say, nitrogen leaching, nitrogen runoff, to more of the environmental impacts of reducing the amount of nitrogen fertilizer on the lawn.
1: I mean, you just listed off four locations, four species, five cultivars. (laughs) That is a one heck of a complex situation. (laughs) Right? It's, It's a complex question. Sure. It's it,
2: it, if we do it just in Findlay, Ohio, that doesn't necessarily result f- anything for people living in Cincinnati. Yeah. It's it's a Cincinnati is a completely different environment. So to get at what stakeholders need, we need to do this research all across the state.
0: Sure. So I'm a homeowner uh and I go to my local garden center and I'm picking up a bag of um grass seed and I'm looking at what the different cultivars are in that. Um, so the cultivars vary around the state then. What are some of those cultivars that um, people would recognize, the names of those?
2: I don't think they would recommend, recognize any. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> some of our cultivars get really weird names, and they're good ones. So like we have Raptor Tall Fescue. Ooh, what? Okay, And uh, we have Jetty Hard Fescue. <laughs> I and wish it was might Jedi. Seed, somebody, somebody might recognize some names of the Kentucky Bluegrass. Yes. There's some like one of the Kentucky bluegrass is called blue note. That's the one they use in NFL fields. Okay. So you might get some people that are really nitpicky about their home lawn, they might might see it. Most people wouldn't. But we'll be able to what we'll be able to report is a more representative idea of the species because we're looking at many different cultivars that represent that species. Right. Okay. You might have two cultivars that perform very different. But then we can look at the average of those and give a better indication of how the species
3: performs. Okay. Sure. I think the one cultivar that people might be familiar with is Kentucky 31 and wherever we go today, whatever we do in this conversation, that's the one thing that homeowners should not buy. Oh, good to know. Very coarse. It's a forage uh, tall fescue, very durable, but uh, if you're into your home lawns and you're looking for higher quality uh, surfaces, then for sure, Kentucky 31 tall fescue is not something you want to purchase. Interesting.
2: That's a good note to make. <laughs> one thing, too, is um, Ed and Dave Gardner have a fact sheet Ooh. on Ohio line for some uh, uh, more uh, popular and available cultivars in the last five years. That's great. So homeowners can visit that and
1: get some information. Well, and I think one last question from my end of things. Who will you communicate this out to? Is this more for industry's sake or will it go directly to the homeowner?
2: The best way to get to homeowners we're going for this is, number one, Master Gardeners. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be having education events specifically for Master Gardeners. Now, one of our sites is right next to a whole row of houses. So we're going to be posting signs and QR codes to go to actually see the research. So hopefully we get some homeowners that directly see it that way. Um, We're going to be going to the Canfield Fair this year in Mahoning County as well. And we're going to be presenting this research to fairgoers. That's one way we'll get in front of homeowners because getting in front of homeowners can be difficult. Sure. Um, and then, number one is ed- educating stakeholders, lawn care operators, on some of these practices that they can then take to homeowners they work for. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, because I wasn't sure if this might be beneficial information for, Stacy. you mentioned going to the local, right.
0: <laughs> you know, patching. the local.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know, people who are working there may be able to give some of this great information too.
2: That's the hardest part. So homeowners are the hardest people to educate, um, but they're the most important group for, for lawns. Sure. And getting information for them, we have to go through multiple multiple steps sometimes. And master gardeners, I mean, homeowners do contact master gardeners sometimes. So I think that's one avenue we're trying to take advantage of. Sure.
0: And extension educators. I know a lot of times when we find something in our lawn and we don't know what it is, we can contact our local ed- uh, extension educator. What is this pest now? Well, especially when they had the big um, infestation of armyworm last year, right? Yep. yep. Fall armyworm. worm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then.
3: So we learned how the news outlets make money. You just need a disaster and then people get panicked. <laughs> That's right.
1: I guess there's a silver lining there somewhere. That's right.
0: Everyone <laughs> freaked out. You could see it across the whole neighborhood, all the spots. And oh, that must be the army worm they're talking about. Nutty. Right. Well, so how long is this project uh, going to be going on? When do you think you'll have any research findings to share?
2: We have data right now on establishment. These plots were established last fall. Great. Our first year of nutrient and fertilizer applications are starting here this May, and then we'll have a first year's worth of results by you know October. And it's a two year study, uh, but we do plan to continue the study um, for multiple years because nitrogen use can change as the lawn establishes and matures. So even though the, the, the funding is up for two years, we're gonna be hopefully continuing this.
1: That's great. It's fun to hear about this project because it has a direct impact on homeowners throughout the state. And knowing exactly how you're putting things together, what questions you're asking, and then this idea of reduced effort, reduced cost on the homeowner's part, it's just neat to see research take that shape.
0: Yeah, everybody can use that right now. Reduced effort, reduced cost. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> right? Hello, inflation. Yes, wonderful Uh, and you don't you don't have to mow six six times a week in the spring if you do this right you don't Ah, have to be out there that's the best also reduced effort that's right now some some people may say well that's my therapy for the week (laughs) right exactly I know
1: yeah I was just about to say tell my husband that because he might still be out there (laughs) trying to mow what is not there
0: that's right nothing more stressful than coming home and you're like
1: oh the neighbor mowed Dang it. We have to mow. (laughs) You hear it as you're sitting down to dinner. That's right.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you talking to us today about this uh, great project. And we look forward to seeing some of those findings and helping you out to share that information. Thank you. Thank you. Join us for our next episode in the Turfgrass Series, where we're digging into organic matter and golf putting greens. Thanks for joining us for the KX Emerging Research Podcast. Want to explore more fresh research from the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences? Visit kx.osu.edu.